Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Coming to you from Podfleet Command Special Broadcast Outpost in the Bajor Sector aboard Deep Space Nine. It's Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome. This is episode 130, and I am your co-host, Bill Smith. We're excited you're here. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for spending a part of your week with us. It truly means the world to us. And by us, I mean we. And by we, I mean my wonderful co-host, He's been practicing his dance moves, doing the moonwalk and all kinds of other things. And I think in Star Trek Las Vegas, we're going to get a demonstration of his fleet feet. He is the one and only Dan Davidson. And Dan, Billy Jean, not your lover. Come on. What? <laughs> Sorry. You got me. I could see yeah. you just start and I could carry it away. <laughs> I, Are we really broadcasting from Deep Space Nine tonight? We are. Can we, we are. go to the Klingon? Know it, would you? Can we go to the Klingon restaurant and then get a Jumja stick after? Jumja stick. Do you think the Jumja sticks are made of space whale? Uh, very. Uh, you beat me to it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Thank you for stealing my thunder. It is still well, good to be here, buddy. I got to say, you know, this is episode 130 that we've been doing this together. I love it every single week. We always have a good time, and I'm looking forward to what we are going to talk about today. That's right. Tonight, we're going to consider the emissary to the prophets, he who is Benjamin Lafayette Sisko, um, captain or starting off as commander and then eventually captain of Space Station Deep Space Nine. It's, um, I think it's going to be a great discussion. And Sisko is a character that you and I have, have loved pretty much since the get go. And he is he's probably one of the most layered and complex characters in the whole of Star Trek. I think he's one of the best char- characters in all of Star Trek because he has so many layers. I mean, he's not just a captain and he's not just a father and he's not just dealing with one thing or another. And that's what I love so much about deep space nine and, ev- and especially Cisco is that there's so much to peel of that onion, so to speak, a little Shrek reference in there nice and early in the podcast. But I, I can't wait to talk about all the different things we're going to be talking about. Uh, absolutely. And Dan, people uh, may have their favorite captains. They may have their favorite Cisco moments, as we're going to talk about some of those later ourselves. How might they get that information to us, my friend? Well, it's easier than ever to get in touch with us, Bill. Uh, all those listeners can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And uh, there they will find a variety of ways to send us their thoughts. And uh, you know what? Both Bill and I want to hear from you people. So uh, so please make it so. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. Or you can even fill out the contact form and leave us a message about anything that may be on your Star Trek mind. Plus, don't forget, you can click the big blue button on the right-hand side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe, which is very, very cool. Uh, Somebody actually did that uh, last week, and uh, we had a great time listening to that message. So please make it so, as I just said. And don't forget, we would love it if you would join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There is always great Star Trek stuff going on uh, over there every single day, whether it's pictures, contests, polls, you name it, it's there. We love it. Plus, as a member of Camp Kittimer, you're going to get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast. Uh, to join the group, just head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you right in to join in on all the fun. But remember that any messages or comments that you leave us... Oh, wait a minute. Sorry. Wrong show. Uh, that you leave us in any of these places will be used in a future episode, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> See, I haven't. I've expected you to do it as Schwarzenegger. 
Oh my god, that would have been awesome. I, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Get to the chopper. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> wow. I'm starting to laugh already. Oh my god. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Dan, before we get to our regularly scheduled new segment, we have something very exciting that we want to announce to everybody listening to Trek Geeks. Our friends at Fansets have come up with perhaps one of the most unique and quite frankly, the most awesome pins that you and I have seen yet. And what's even more awesome, Dan, is they want to give some of these beauties away to our listeners. Yes, indeed they do. And you're right. It is one of the most awesome and unique pins we have seen. So I'm going to give you a brief description of what it is. In a nutshell, it's called the To Boldly Go pin. And it looks like an old style 1970s television. And on screen is the opening credit scene from Star Trek with the Enterprise passing over a planet with the words to boldly go where no man has gone before. It is absolutely beautiful. It is breathtaking. And it just makes me think of when I first started watching Star Trek back in the 70s. Um, So what we want to do with this giveaway is we want you to tweet to us and tag Trek geeks and fansets and tell us your memory of the first time that you watched even T- uh, watched TOS, even if it was just recently, like like this year or within the last month or two. Doesn't matter. Somebody starts TOS at some point. We want to hear about it. All we want you to do is uh, use the special hashtag Fansets Boldly Go. And next week we're going to pick three random participants to win this truly amazing collectible bill. And I'm very excited about this. You know, Dan, I'm going to make a command decision here as uh, the executive producer of Trek Geeks, and I, I, I tell you what we're going to do here. So Fansets, as you said, is giving away three of these pins. Is that right? That is correct. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, we, you and I are going to throw in an additional two of these pins. So we are going to give away five of these Boldly Go pins total to lucky listeners um, so they can get a shot at winning this incredible pin. So get those tweets into us and fansets. That's at Trek Geeks and at fansets using the hashtag fansets boldly goal and, uh, and get yourself in this drawing. So Dana, so what do you think? Um, let's give away some pins next week. I can think of five reasons why that is absolutely awesome. And we'll, we'll cite all five of those reasons next week and stop counting on your hands. Five. Um, <laughs> five. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> five well of course now you know what this means dan oh oh, what's that it's time for the news from treknews.net spanning the alpha quadrant (laughs) for all the news on all the star treks yo it's treknews.net online at checknews.net and somehow i went from schwarzenegger to swedish chef i'm not quite sure how that happened Uh, i started off with the best of intentions but i'm just not as good at this as you are you don't have any fun on the show do we no not at all dan uh up first in news the uh the ceo of cbs apparently likes the results of star trek discovery yeah, I think uh, you could say he does. Uh, uh, Les Moonves touted that season one of Discovery was, quote, a huge runaway success, end quote, uh, during his quarterly investment conference call last week. And that's pretty that's pretty big words uh, from the CEO, Mr. Moonves. He also confirmed, as we actually announced last week on Discovering Trek, that uh, season two of Star Trek Discovery is scheduled to begin filming in April. That is very good news because, as we pointed out just a little while ago, this is the first Sunday in a while that we have not had new Star Trek on, and I'm looking forward to season two already. As am I. You know, the the, the takeaway here for me is that huge runaway success translates to they made a lot of money, whether it's CBS All Access subscriptions or or you know tie in related products. But ultimately, for me, I think this means we're going to see more new Star Trek at some point. I don't think Discovery is going to be the last Star Trek on CBS All Access. 
Um, I think that after it, we're going to see a long line of of Star Trek series, and maybe Dan, it will usher in a new, you know, a second golden era of Star Trek. You know, I can only hope so. I mean, we've we waited a long time from the original series, and then the movies came out, and then in the eighties we had TNG, and for the the young people today this discovery could be their first trek to start with. And I hope the same thing happens with them. That it's just like you said, a long line of trek way down the road for generations to uh, enjoy, because I'll tell you what, we are enjoying discovery to no end. It has been a phenomenal first season. Absolutely. So we're, we're, I'm excited to hear that that was Moonvis's reaction and uh, here's the more Star Trek someday, including yeah. discovery and beyond. So uh, Dan, we also have an update this week on the game Star Trek Adversaries that we told you about uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's it's a fun game. Uh, I got to say, uh, like you just said a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that Star Trek Adversaries is now available for download on your Mac or on your PC. Um, as I've been playing it and and checking their, their Twitter feed constantly, I am just amazed at the amount of character cards that this game is actually coming up with. And I think content in a game like this is extremely important to keep players engaged, no pun intended, uh, in the game. And every series is represented so well. And some of the cards that just made me go, wow, uh, are, are ones like Essok. The Chalnian from TNG's Allegiance. He's got a card. Jillian Taylor from Star Trek Four is in there. Captain Pike, the Gorn, Tilly. Tilly from Discovery is already in, in Star Trek Adversaries. Uh, Garrick, Shelby, and Apollo from TOS, just to name a few. And they're adding new stuff all the time. So, uh, you know, fans of this kind of game will enjoy this new content as it's getting added. Uh, and Star Trek fans will just love the attention to detail that I have seen so far with Star Trek Adversaries. So we wanted to just bring it up again to say it's something that you should check out. We think you'll enjoy it. So just head on over to puppetmastergames.com and download it to your PC and Mac. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they will eventually have a handheld version. It's just uh, to be determined when that's going to be. You know, this is pretty exciting. I mean, you and I love products for fans by fans. I think that that has become a, a very important distinction for you and me over the years. And I think that's one of the things I like about adversaries is that they understand the fandom and they understand just, you know, how deep this, this, this bench is for characters. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm excited every time they release a new character that, that they've added to the game. I think it's exciting. I'm enjoying it. And ultimately I can't wait for more. I can't wait to see where they take this. So um, that's good news. It's always good news when new Star Trek games come out. Absolutely. Dan, Star Trek Las Vegas is fast approaching, and now you can get your mitts on some pretty cool Discovery posters, which, in my opinion, are prime candidates for getting autographs on, hint, hint. Prime. Prime Universe? Yeah, sure. Prime, Whatever. Prime Directive? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Yes. Well, yeah, Bill, Bye Bye Robot has released a bunch of very nice, stylish Discovery posters. Uh, and as Bill just mentioned, uh, you know, I think they look even better with a bunch of autographs on them now that STLV is is not too far away. So uh, anybody who's going to STLV or anybody who wants just cool posters, head on over to buybyerobot.com slash star dash trek to see this line of posters. They really, really are cool. And personally, I can just confirm to everyone how great these posters are. Um, a couple of years ago, when, when I went to my first STLV with Bill, uh, he very generously gifted me with a Deep Space Nine poster by the same group at buybyrobot.com. And I have used that to get all of my Deep Space Nine autographs so far. And the poster and the autographs added to it looks stunning it really does the artwork is fantastic the fact that you've got so many signatures on that thing now just makes it that much more special and i'm glad that uh i'm glad that you're going to have a chance to, uh, to hopefully fill that up so um, that's pretty fantastic dan lastly in news this is a subject that's near and dear to our hearts and especially well hopefully the hearts of our listeners there is finally a release date for the brand new five-year mission album year four what Yes. Can you believe it? I can believe that because you shared that information with me just a little while ago. Um, yeah, we are very excited. We talk about it every week on Trek Geeks. You hear all their music here on Trek Geeks and on Discovering Trek. We love Five Year Mission. And on April 27th, 2018, that is 
February, March, less than two, uh, maybe a little bit over two months away, <laughs> you, you are going to be able to listen to the brand new songs brought to us by our friends over at Five Year Mission. And we are so excited about this and can't wait to start downloading those tracks. We know they're having a release party on that day, and that's pretty exciting. There's details about that on their Five Year Mission Facebook page. And uh, in a couple of weeks, I think that um, we may be seeing or hearing Fark on these very uh, podcast uh, airwaves, mm. as it were. He may be joining us at Podfleet Command mm. for an episode of Trek Geeks in advance of year four dropping, I've heard. Allegedly. I've, I've heard. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about the up and coming things going on on the Trek Geeks podcast. Maybe. Maybe. Perhaps. Allegedly. Well, this week, we continue our celebration of the 25th anniversary of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And honestly, what look back at Deep Space Nine would be complete without examining really the central figure of DS9, Dan. And that, of course, is Benjamin Lafayette Sisko. He who started off as the commander of that station and, and eventually got promoted to captain. And I, I don't think we understood at the, at the time the series premiered exactly how very much Deep Space Nine is Cisco's journey. Oh, absolutely. Cisco's journey to a T. And, and you know, we're going to get into this a little bit later. I'm just going to go off on a quick tangent because you just said it. It's one of the things that always irked me about the beginning of Deep Space Nine is that he was a commander and not a captain right away. I love how they made him a captain, and we'll get into that later on. But that's that's some, that part of the journey, which you just said. So good job, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. In fact... I, I was going to talk about that too because I was, I was annoyed when they made him a commander, mm-hmm. um, you know. Because initially I, I thought it was going to be a captain. I think the rumor initially was captain, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but then it, it premieres, and all the press ahead of time says he's Commander Cisco. And honestly, at, at the time, I, I was like, are, "Are you serious? Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna take a series that has the very first African African American lead in Star Trek." And they're going to not give him the same rank as Kirk and Picard. At the time, I was incensed. I was, and I agree with you. And I think it's like, wow, what a slap in the face. Like you just said, first African-American to be the star of the Star Trek series. And they don't even have the balls enough to make him captain. That was very irritating. Even way back in the day when I was still young and didn't understand all the things about um, about how society is supposed to be and all that. That was something that really, really troubled me. Like I said, they did a great job in correcting that and making him captain and after he became captain it was just like a whole nother show for me um but at first it was it was insulting and aggravating at the same time yeah i have to agree with you although i think the thing that that saved that announcement for me was realizing who was cast as benjamin cisco (laughs) you know i was a big spencer for hire fan um i love avery brooks and when i found out he was cast i Turned on Deep Space Nine that night, and I'm like, who's this guy? Because <laughs> <laughs> to me, it, it, at least at first glance, I'm like, that's not Avery Brooks, is it? Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing we're going to get into is the whole look of Cisco at the beginning of the show. But you're right. I was a huge um, fan of Spencer for Hire as well. And one of the reasons I was such a fan of that show was Hawk. So when Avery Brooks was cast, I was very excited and was looking forward to seeing a Hawk type captain slash commander on Deep Space Nine. And that certainly isn't what we got, at least at the beginning. No, not at first. And, and honestly, Avery Brooks wasn't really interested in doing Star Trek initially, which I think is the really kind of amazing thing. You know, his agent first told him there was a role available and he laughed because he figured he was going to have to wear prosthetics, <laughs> which he had no interest in doing, mm-hmm. um, which I find incredibly comical. You know, after he found out the role was human, this is coming from memory alpha now, um, he still was literally unconvinced and, you know, he didn't think it was going to work, <laughs> which I think is uh, is hilarious. He goes on to eventually be one of the most storied captains in Star Trek history and, and certainly one of the most talented actors to ever be a part of Star Trek. Well, I find that very interesting because don't you think that you could possibly say that about 
every captain in the majority of the series. I mean, I'm sure I don't think Shatner thought it was going to be all that thing. You know, I could be funny and quote, you know, it was a th- just a job he did as a lark for a couple of years from the Saturday Night Live <laughs> skit. But and I think that Sir Patrick Stewart has said similar things about what he thought it was going to be like being this captain on this science fiction show. And of course, we have Avery. And then, you know, we all saw what happened with the disastrous first few weeks of Voyager with um, uh, before they brought uh, Kate in to play uh, the captain. Um, gosh, I can never pronounce her name correctly, who was originally cast to play the captain. Um, but uh, she quit after only a couple of days of shooting. So I can certainly see uh, why Avery might have thought that, but boy, am I glad he stuck with it because as you said, he's one of the most amazing captains in Star Trek history. Yeah. And personally, he's my favorite captain. Mm-hmm. I have to say, you know, as much as I grew up on TOS and I, I love Captain Kirk. I mean, Captain Kirk was my boyhood hero. Captain Benjamin Sisko for me is, is the captain I go to first. He's my captain. And I think that kind of blew me away when I realized that that had become the case because I was such a a diehard TOS fan. Yeah, he's my captain, my captain also. Um, I I love Captain Sisko. I love what he did, what Avery did for the character of Sisko. He's the most real person as a captain. Um, We have, you know, Kirk is the, the macho guy and Picard is the diplomat. I'm sure we're going to get into the conversation about the different the different layers that Cisco had on Deep Space Nine, and it and and to get back to Voyager again is you know Janeway's just trying to keep her crew together to get them home, so to to get the crew home. So that was very difficult for her to be a a multi layered person leading the crew, and I think that Avery as Cisco was able to show that very very well in Deep Space Nine, and it's one of the reasons why he's my favorite captain as well. Absolutely. You know, Kirk and Picard absolutely have layers. We don't mean to paint them as necessarily one-dimensional characters because they certainly are not. Right. But there were qualities of Cisco that made him markedly different from either of his predecessors at the time. You know, Kirk was Kirk was a starship captain first and foremost. Picard was an explorer first and foremost. Although I, I suppose some could debate that and, and and that would be fun discussion, but if you think about it, um Benjamin Sisko is a father first and foremost, and he wears that role in his sleeve the whole time. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the things that was so incredible about that fact is that he not only was a father, he was a single father who just lost his wife. Well, not just lost, but in the Battle of Wolf 359. So now he has all these new responsibilities that are being thrust upon him in an area that he doesn't want to be in. Plus, he has to raise his son, who he shows his love for, unlike anything we've seen in Star Trek. It's one of the most beautiful relationships in, in all of Star Trek. And I've said this before on Trek Geeks and and at STLV and in other places, because it just, it is the most unconditional and beautiful love. And, and as I've said, probably the, the most least um, dysfunctional family relationship in all of Star Trek. Um, I love the relationship between Benjamin and Jake. And I, I really appreciate that this is what sets him apart from those other captains. I agree. And I also love the relationship that obviously Sirach and Avery had to bring that closeness and love into two fictional characters. You can't just do that unless you have a real bond between you, I would think. I'm not an actor, but I mean, in any interview that I've ever seen between the two, they really, really enjoyed working together and had a genuine love of each other, which I thought was really special. Absolutely. You know, one of the other things that I think sets Cisco apart from Kirk and Picard are the fact that he is, he's a true friend. You know, he has a closeness with Dax in particular, mm-hmm. and he has a, a relationship with the rest of the senior staff that Kirk and Picard just don't, don't enjoy. They don't let themselves enjoy, I should say. You know, Picard kind of comes to this realization at the end of TNG and all good things when he sits down at the poker table, but he always kept that crew at a distance. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And it was very evident until you, and then it was even more evident when you saw the regret in Picard's face in the final episode, when he said that he should have done this a long time ago when he came and played poker with the, with the rest of the senior staff. And you're absolutely right. You know, uh, Kirk, you know, had a very close friendship with Spock, obviously, and with McCoy. 
but I think it was a little bit different with Cisco and especially Dax, as you said, of course, the Dax character has so many layers as well and so many lifetimes and there's that history between the two, but Kira, there's a special closeness there. And I think that's partly because of the whole emissary aspect uh, of, of the Cisco character, but I've always especially appreciated the relationship that Cisco and Odo had. Um, And, and even to a point, the relationship that he had with Quark, which was not a very, um, well, let's just put it this way. It was an interesting relationship, but (laughs) it was something that we did not see a lot of in earlier incantations of Star Trek, if that's the right word. (laughs) They they were chanting. Fantastic. Um, (laughs) No, I I think you're right about that. I think Cisco's relationship with his crew seems a bit more familial to me. Yes. Um, at least, you know, at first glance. And as you watch the whole of the series, I think that becomes true. Like the episode where he's cooking dinner for them. Right. You know, I think it's, it's such a beautifully constructed scene and it, it speaks to what Cisco holds dear, you know, not just those relationships, but uh, meals with, with the people close to him. I, I think, I thought it was a nice touch on the character. I think it's good to have that part. And I also think that it's good that he was the boss when he needed to be. And you saw it a lot, especially, unfortunately, maybe we always saw it a little bit more with O'Brien when he had to be dressed down for whatever reason. But he was also at the same time that close friend, uh, a a very um, same uh, description with O'Brien in one scene, he's dressing him down. And then when O'Brien asked a question, six was like, Oh, oh, I must've missed that. And of course I'm talking about captive pursuit, but, um, I like how he was able to do both in the same scene. I thought it was a great way that the character was built. And then when you look at Benjamin Cisco, in addition to all the other qualities that a starship captain normally has, unfortunately he also has to be a soldier. You know, that's something that Picard and Kirk don't necessarily have to do. And I'm sure that it's a role that Benjamin Sisko took on reluctantly and probably the most reluctant role of his career, other than the one we'll talk about after this. But um, he had to fight a war and he, this, you know, the, the safety and security of the alpha quadrant hung in the balance. Not only did it hang in the balance, you know, he's a soldier, but it pretty much hung on his shoulders. He was pretty much the, the leader of the battle during the dominion war in terms of, of strategy. And, you know, he did report to the Admiral, but it was pretty much his burden to bear for everything that was going on with the dominion. And yeah, that's one thing that we never did see with other uh, versions of Starfleet captains is they didn't have to deal with not only a war, but a really long and bloody war. Yes, I agree with that. You know, and all of these qualities, I think, are, for me, what makes Cisco probably one of the most compelling and interesting characters. But I think it's his his more grand role as um, the Emissary of the Prophets that I think rounds him out into, for me, the, the most interesting of, of the captains to date. You know, his relationship with Bajor is kind of an interesting one, and it definitely had an evolution. Oh, no doubt it had an evolution. And and as we saw in the very first episode of Emissary, it wasn't one that he was comfortable with or wanted anything to do with. However, over the evolution of seven seasons and all the different things that go on in his life, you see that it became the central core of his existence. And I, you know, I don't know if I'm overstepping this, but did it overstep his belief in Starfleet to a point? Because I think it kind of did. What about you? I think at some point it had to. I think the more he became comfortable on Deep Space Nine and and with and among Bajorans, I think the more he had to accept this role. And it kind of did overshadow his his role as a, as a Starfleet captain. Absolutely. I mean, I believe there was an episode, and, and it's escaping me right now because of all the history I've been doing about reading about Cisco this week. But the episode where he is um, uncovering the uh, uh, the ruins in the caves, and the admirals are giving him direct orders of what he needs to do, and he's basically not even listening to him while he's being talked to, um, yeah. because he's so um, focused on being the emissary and and having to understand what the writings mean and this, that, and the other thing. So it was interesting that he had to balance it, and in some way he didn't balance it all too good. At what point did you feel that Cisco sort of became your favorite captain? Did you know it right away or was it after Deep Space Nine had finished or or do you recall, was it a particular moment or episode? 
Um, I will say that I, I know that it wasn't at first. I didn't like the look of Avery as Captain Cisco, and, and we talked about that a little bit at the beginning. And, and not to take anything away, and I don't mean to be disrespectful because I'm sure it's going to come out wrong. I hated his hair. I did not like the way that Cisco's hair was when he had it. When he went bald and got the goatee, he was badass, man. And I loved him. <laughs> it was that hawk thing that I talked about a while ago that I really liked to see. And it was as if his whole demeanor and confidence changed. Not when he got captain, because he got captain before he made the visual change. When he made that visual change to the look of him, he looked like a completely different person in many aspects to me. And that's when I really, really loved the character. I will say uh, to, you know, counter contradict myself a little bit. I think the adversary was the episode that really made it for me when the, uh, the changing was loose on the defiant and is trying to start a war with the Zenkethi, I believe. Um, I love that episode, and I think that's the first episode that he's captain, and he really shows what he can do as captain. Uh, and I think I got my facts straight, but like I said, there's been a lot of reading this week. <laughs> a lot of reading. <laughs> I I think for me, I don't think I realized it until after the series had finished. You know, you get to the end, and you realize that that Cisco's journey is certainly a different one from all of the other captains in 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 hindsight and in the captains to come. And you realize exactly what this series meant in terms of the journey of Benjamin Sisko, because it, it truly is his story and not necessarily a story about seeking out strange new worlds. And I, I think when I realized that I was really quite surprised, um, although I'll tell you to this day, there's a Benjamin Sisko action figure on my, on my desk at work. Yes, there is. Um, because I feel that tied to the character. Um, I, he's, He's one that I think that is important in Star Trek. And there are just so many great scenes and great episodes for Cisco that I thought it'd be good to talk about some of those now. Um, you and I have compiled lists and I you compiled your list and then I read your list and said, I'm going to pick ones that are purposefully very different from Dan's mm -hmm. um, because you hit some of my absolute favorites. I'm not going to lie. But uh, we can start talking about your list and uh, and, and the reasons why. Before we do that, I want to bring up one thing that you just mentioned in regards yeah. to what makes him my favorite captain. I'm going to get a little sentimental, and anybody who's listened to the show, especially the Captive Pursuit episode, will know what I'm talking about, is one thing that always stood out to me is, wow, this guy is awesome. Cisco is my man, is his girlfriend betrayed him and betrayed the Federation and doing what she did to help the Maquis, whether it was right or wrong. She was lying to him. She was keeping things from him and she paid the price and she went to a penal colony or a prison or whatever they call it in, in the future for a time. And when she came back, he was right there for her. He gave her that second chance and it was the best thing about him. Um, and as someone who has been given that second chance, that's just one of the things that I will always love about him. It was as if nothing had happened. Of course, things did and they talked it through and, but they got married they fell in love, then got married, and they were going to have a baby. Uh, I just thought it was a great, great part of that character. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I really liked that too. And then we got to the end of What You Leave Behind, and I was like, oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but the scenes, especially with Jake in particular, were just so touching. That, yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about all that later. <laughs> but um, so, so you have a list of episodes of why they're some of your favorite scenes or episodes or just favorite Cisco moments. And we'll, we'll talk about why I'm sure as we progress through it. But, um, I, I don't know if your list is in order, but the one you have as the top bullet point is probably my favorite, um, Cisco episode of all time. Yes, they are no particular order, but this is my favorite one as well. And it's probably like what I put in parentheses in my show notes is these are going to be a lot of what other people's pick, but it's obvious as to why, when you hear the names and, and, the episode is in the pale moonlight. It is the ultimate Cisco episode without a doubt for me. It, there, there's no debate by far. It is so great to see the pain that he's going through with the decisions that he's making and making the decisions that he's making. And we've talked about this on discovering Trek. What will someone do in a time of war to make sure that they win? And this is a perfect example of that, whether good or bad, as he says, he's an accessory to murder. He does things that he would never do in any other circumstance. And that is just a 
brilliantly written episode as to what Cisco is all about in my mind. And Avery Brooks just kills it. I, I can't disagree with that in any sense of the word. I mean, Cisco is the mortgage, everything he believes and make what is a disgusting choice all to save the alpha quadrant and bring the Romulans into the war. Uh, one of my favorite performances by Avery, um, one of my favorite episodes is lots of Garrick influence. That's a great pick. Man. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's very easy to pick something like that because it's just so Cisco. And, and the, the, the scary thing about that episode is at the end when he says, I can live with it. I can live with it. It's, it's just, it's like, wow, you're real. Like you said, you're mortgaging everything you believe in to save the alpha quadrant. What does that make you as a person? And how does that make you feel knowing it goes against just about everything that you have believed in your entire life? It's just a great, great episode. It's the most unstarfleet of choices, mm-hmm. but it's not unlike, it's not unlike I mean, without giving any spoilers away, what, what occurs in Star Trek discovery to some extent. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you um you've got the the rest of a killer list going right there, so I'll let you keep going. <laughs> yeah, my next one is is one that you know I say that in the pale moonlight is far and away the best, but this one's really really good too, and it's it's far beyond the stars. Just a great Cisco episode uh, with Benny Russell and 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 what's going on with that. Not only is it just a brilliant episode, but it's a brilliant portrayal of Cisco slash Benny um, and all of the different things that. Um, that this episode brings to light with, with racism back in the day and, and what is really going on with the, with the prophets and, and being emissary. And it's a brilliant Cisco episode and it's directed by Avery Brooks as well, which is just another feather in his cap as to the great work that he's done in Star Trek. Uh, and, and it's right up there with one of my all time favorites. Yes. It's um, definitely one of Star Trek's finest hours. Uh, to be sure, one of Avery Brooks' finest moments. Um, I absolutely agree with you 100%. And it's your next so pick real. was one. Oh, <laughs> it's real. Um, your next pick is one that surprised me a little. Well, I like this one because it really shows how, oh gosh, what's the best way to do it? He's willing to help the enemy here. And I'm talking about Rocks and Shoals. I love this episode where they get stranded on the planet with the Jem'Hadar and uh, the Vorta knows that they are going to lose if they try to attack the crew, the Federation crew, but he orders them to do it anyway. And Cisco does whatever he can to try to get the Jem'Hadar to not attack so that they can work something out. And of course, the Jem'Hadar are going to follow their their orders no matter what. But it shows that a kind of an opposite of what we see in, in the Pale Moonlight and what we've seen in Discovering Trek, and I don't want to give spoilers away, they'll do what it takes to try to help no matter what. Um, and this is a great example of Cisco as a human being will do what he can to try to save the situation, even when it's all for naught. And I just love that about the Cisco character. It's interesting. And it's a great contrast to one of my picks, which I'll give you now because it, it, it bounces off it so well. And that's the ship. Mm. I love the ship as an episode because it puts Cisco in and the rest of the crew in a horrible position to have to try to get off that planet alive. And again, they're dealing with the Jemadar, they're dealing with a Vorta, and they don't understand exactly what the problem is until you get the twist later on. But in this episode too, he takes things as far as he can go and then takes them a little farther. You know, he tries to negotiate with the Dominion. Then he tries to outmaneuver the Dominion. Then he tries to outfight the Dominion. And then it becomes a series of decisions. And I think that these two episodes are, while they contrast, I think, they, I think they're great together. I think they're great together too. And I think the ship is one of the best yelling Cisco moments we see in Deep Space Nine. And there are a few of them. that's very true i might have another one on my list okay i I like it um the other one that i have is kind of a is kind of a humorous one but at the same time it just is why i love avery brooks's cisco so much and that is when he plays hippocrates noah in our man bashir you know that's the one as everybody i'm sure can remember when the crew has to get uh their transporter patterns have to get set into the holodeck because there was an explosion on the runabout and he is the bad guy in the james bond style movie that bashir is is uh playing out in the holodeck and he is the 
he is able to play a 60s villain so perfectly with his inflections and his movements and his wardrobe. I love, and and I got to tell you, to me, it looks like Avery just loved playing that part so much. It's not really a Cisco part, but it's just one of my favorites with the guy who played Cisco. And that's why it's on my list. I love, I love Hippocrates Noah. He's great. It's just fun, and he gets to chew scenery as like a Bond villain. Yes, and it's just—it's so much fun. I, uh, I that is a great episode. I'm glad you picked that one. Um, I picked episodes that were markedly different, um, the, simply because you you pick some ones that are their go to choices for any Deep Space Nine fan. Mm-hmm. I picked one or two that might be, and I picked some that just weren't. Um, leading the top of my list has to for me has to be the visitor. Um, after we talk about your episodes, I mean, uh, the visitor for me is Star Trek's finest hour, hands down. I think it's better than sitting on the edge of forever. Mm -hmm. I think it's better than the inner light personally. Um, but it's my favorite for what it means for Benjamin and not necessarily what it means for Jake. You know, the story is about Jake's journey to get his father back, but it's the last couple of minutes of this episode that really just sort of hit it home because at the end, the reset button happens. Things are back the way they were, and Jake doesn't remember a single thing. Right. But but damn it, Benjamin does. Right. And he just pulls Jake so tight and hugs him at the end of the episode. And I tell you what, it makes tears flow every single time. And it is one of the greatest illustrations of the love between those two characters. It is. It is the definition of what those two characters love for each other is. I the visitor is just so great. I love that one so much. And and you're right. It's it's the episode focuses on Jake going through time, you know, losing his dad and trying to figure out how to get him back, but for me especially is when when Ben realizes what old Jake is about to do and he doesn't want him to do it. Um that's that's the moment for me and and God, Tony Todd is just so so great in this episode and the two of them Tony Todd as old Jake and Avery Brooks as as stuck in time Cisco oh my god they are just so great together they feed off of each other and oh god I wish I could have been on set for when that that episode was filmed because that would have been just the ultimate experience for me but you're right what you know I never realized it until we talked about it on Trek Geeks a while back, I never really understood that Ben remembers it all. And, and that's, that's really something that is going to be incredible to see what his son went through all those years and that he was willing to die to get his father back. That was wow. And he carries it with him. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, from, from who Benjamin Cisco is that this is going to be something that, that, that is in his mind every time he looks at his son mm-hmm. and it's just going to, it's going to make him love him even more. So, um, my next episode is, it has Yelly Cisco, man. Yeah. He, <laughs> he definitely does some screaming at this one and it's for the uniform. This is, we're going to talk about, or really in a few weeks, we're going to break down the entire Cisco versus Eddington trilogy. Cause really there are three key episodes in that, that dynamic and that relationship. But, the one that's my favorite is is the middle act and it's for the uniform because Cisco's obsession gets the best of him and it is some of his finest screaming. You know, we talk about uh, <laughs> finest screaming. Very nice. We've talked about in the past Kirk's obsession in Obsession and in Conscious of the King just last week. But yeah. uh, boy, that gets trumped in a big way by, uh, by Cisco's obsession with Eddington because he, he destroys an entire planet for – the sake of argument, he poisons it just because he's trying to get this guy. And if that's not the most unstarfleet thing you can think of, I really don't know what is because that certainly goes against uh, any rule book I've seen with regards to Starfleet and Federation law. Don't you think? Oh, you can't put the the cork back in that bottle, man. You know he 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 breaks just about everything Starfleet stands for. You know all the the critique and criticism we've heard of discovery and and some of the choices that were made on the show Cisco <laughs> Cisco <laughs> is an accomplice to murder and he poisons a planet he changes the the entire development of that world yeah. just to get a traitor and yeah it's, it, and I love Les Misérables right mm-hmm. I mean I, it, it's it's such a, a wonderful Broadway musical the book is a bit chewy it takes a lot to get through but um 
this really is, you know, Victor Hugo in space for all intents and purposes. And it's played so well by both Avery and by, by Ken Mitchell or not a Ken Mitchell. Um, Cole, Cole for life, yo. I know. I was thinking, <laughs> um, I, I was thinking team Cole for life. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a remarkable episode. It is very, very good. Very good pick. And it is Yelly Cisco. Like you said, that's very, very good. <laughs> And I, I should have said Ken Marshall. That's Marshall. Like really meant. I was trying to look it up without um, being too, you know, noticeable. Marshall Mitchell. I, I knew I'd get it right. He's the guy who played Marco Polo in the eighties. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's a great illustration of the lengths that Cisco will go to because of his Starfleet uniform. You know, just because he, he, he's a father first and foremost, doesn't mean he takes his, his uniform lightly because he certainly doesn't. And this episode is the best example of that. I think. Don't you think that also makes him kind of a little scary? Um, cause what's going to happen next? I mean, if he didn't, if what didn't happen happened at the end of the series in season seven, if there was another situation, what do you think you could have done? I mean, it, it's a, it's a yeah. valid question, I think, because it, I mean, I'm not saying that what he did was wrong, kind of, well, I don't think that the, in the pale moonlight was wrong. I kind of think poison the planet was wrong, but he's willing to do whatever it takes. And that can, uh, that can be a little crazy sometimes. Well, that's something we'll get into in a few weeks when we talk about that episode specifically as, okay. as sort of the middle act of that trilogy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but continuing on in my list, um, I have the two-parter with Homefront and Paradise Lost because I think it's a great example of you know, the traps we fall into at home. And Cisco, Cisco's put in a horrible position because he's got to betray the the admiral who whose confidence he has and who made him the head of Starfleet security, at least for the time being, only to find out at the end that eh, he's not the admiral at all. But it's a, it's a great treatise on on the homeland and, and some of the things that, especially the scenes he goes through with his father and Jake um, really kind of help propel that drama along. I think it's, I think it's some great character study of the Cisco family and Benjamin's role as a Starfleet officer and how that hasn't always set well with his father. That's never been the, my most favorite of, of episodes or two parts of deep space nine, but I got to tell you that scene where um, his father refuses to take the blood screen is, is really powerful because it tells you how, again, here we go again. It tells you how obsessed Ben could possibly be with things. And, and you're going to take this blood test. You could be a, a, a founder. And, and that whole, back and forth between the two between Joseph and Ben is really powerful probably the most powerful for me in that two-parter oh it's it absolutely is it, it's incredibly compelling because you understand the way that Joseph feels mm-hmm. you know uh, he's he's just an old guy who runs a restaurant in the French Quarter you know why 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 should he and you know what? He's so smart and so right. What I do is that I just I just find some poor guy and I keep all his blood and and just give you. A, he's so right. Why didn't Starfleet ever think of that? You know, right. I mean, it's the simplest of things. It's like you can always think of these great examples of of how the simplest of things could could throw something completely off track. And he's right. And the other thing that's kind of interesting and intense about that episode, yeah, Ben kind of made his father have a heart attack. <laughs> Yeah, I guess he did. Yeah, that's a great point. I um, I, I really like this episode for what it means for Cisco, because you know it does create that drama between he and his father and that problem. Plus, it's not the first time we get to go back to Cisco's restaurant in Deep Space Nine, yes. and when we come back to yep. it later in the series, yep. it's even deeper, right? Right, and we also get to see Doctor Brahms in command of a starship. And oh, wait a minute. Sorry. <laughs> yes, she, she does make another appearance, doesn't she? <laughs> Hard to believe that she was almost seven of nine. Um, anyway, and my, the last one, since I already mentioned the ship, mm-hmm. um, has to be the pilot. You know, Emissary sort of informs who Benjamin Sisko is. You know, especially that scene where he's just ripped away from Jennifer before the the Saratoga, you know, is destroyed. Literally, yep. Literally, truly ripped away from her. And he spends the rest of that episode on really uneven footing, whether it's with Picard or whether it's with Opaka or whether it's, you know, talking to um, to Kira or just trying to get a sense of what's going on or getting Quark to stay. Mm -hmm. 
there is, or discovering the wormhole with Dax. There's a whole lot, especially when he meets, you know, the, the wormhole aliens, the prophets for the very first time. We couldn't have known back then that it was setting the domino for the very last one to fall in the series. And when you step back and think about it, it's crafted so well from start to finish. Yeah, there are some some episodes in there that we'd probably not want to watch again, like maybe The Muse. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't um, like that one, do you? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. But we'll, we, someday we'll get to that in the theater. Skip it. But, you know, Emissary is so crucial to understanding Benjamin Sisko for the entire series. It's funny because as I've talked about with you here on the podcast, it took me a while to really appreciate the emissary. Um, I've talked about before how for a lot of the spinoffs, if not all of them, except for discovery, the first season or two really, it takes them a long time for them to get their feet on the ground and start running. And usually it's the start of the third season. And, and deep space nine is no different. There are some really not great episodes in season one and two. And, and for a long time emissary, I put as one of those episodes that I just really didn't like. And then I started thinking about its meaning a lot more and what it meant for the entire series going forward. And the level of appreciation that I have taken with Emissary since having that new mindset is off the charts because it really does set the tone for what Cisco is all about. Can you imagine being in some place where you absolutely is the, is the least place that you would want to be and you're going to be there for a long chunk of your career? It's it's got to be not be something that that can be very a very good feeling, and that's what he's feeling before he goes and talks to Picard, and it just kind of spirals a little bit, and then things start changing, and it, it's it's really it's really well done when you sit and watch it and really think about the rest of the series. It's got a whole new level of meaning for me. Well, not only does he not want to be there, but he doesn't want to be there raising a son. He doesn't want to be there bringing this this spiritual, you know, God-fearing people into the Federation, mm-hmm. you know, this religious uh, planet. You know, he just, it, it's a it's a series of strikes, you know, strike one, strike two, strike three. It's not Utopia Planitia. <laughs> he doesn't even know if he wants to be in Starfleet anymore. Right. And And luckily he has the experience he has. You know, it's. Uh, I think it's great that he meets Opaka. I think that that's that's really the first thing in in helping him realize what his path is supposed to be, even if he doesn't really realize it then. And then, of course, his experience in the wormhole the first time when he and Dax discover it, quote unquote. It's it it, it definitely shows that it, it reawakens his the explorer in him for all the other things that he is. He's a Starfleet officer. You know, he wants to explore the galaxy. And, and this provides a, a really great method by which he might be able to accomplish that. Plus there's that own, you know, discovery that he's on himself, you know, and figuring out who Benjamin Cisco is now that he's a single father. And I think one of the things that adds to that and adds to the love of Cisco that I have is in addition to Cisco as the father, it's when he starts to accept the fact that he is the emissary of the prophets and what that means. And he embraces it and starts really believing it. That's another level of Cisco that I just loved to watch as the series progressed. You know, one of the great joys of my life was getting to meet Avery Brooks at Star Trek Las Vegas a handful of years ago. Um, the last time at DS920, which was five years ago. And then a couple of years before that, the last convention at the Hilton. And uh, I only wish I had brought a baseball with me to sign like other people were doing because I think that would have been fantastic. But he did sign a photo for me and he was he was every bit as engaging and warm as as you might expect. He laughed. He's just got such a <laughs> such an animated laugh. He laughs with his whole body. Um, but he was just such a joy to just spend a few moments talking to. It's really one of the the highlights I'll never forget. It's one thing, you know, he hasn't been to conventions in a long time. Uh, who knows if he's going to be. It's one of the things that I is on my bucket list, to be honest, is to be able to meet him and shake his hand and, and thank him. Um I just, I love Avery Brooks so much. He, we say it, you know, it's funny. It, it's kind of blase to say it, but we said it about so many things. Nobody else could have played Cisco like him. And, no. and, 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 and that's not just saying it to say it. It really, I don't think that we could have gotten 
the love and appreciation for this character if it was by another actor. He just is Cisco, and I I am just so grateful for what we got from him for seven seasons. Uh, so say we all. That's that's a fantastic way to wrap up our look at at Benjamin Cisco and some of our favorite moments and the things we truly appreciate about the character. You have any closing thoughts on on Cisco uh, before we move on? For those of you who who want to see what happens with Cisco after the final episode of Deep Space Nine. Now, I know that we hate the word. We've talked about it, but it's not official canon. But there are some great Deep Space Nine novels with regards to uh, a lot of the characters that we're familiar with. I don't want to give anything away other than saying that we do see Benjamin Cisco again. They're great reads, and I would recommend them to anybody. Fantastic. And with that, we um, we move on, Dan. Um, in fact, we move on to one of my favorite portions of the show, and that is, of course, thanking the band Five Year Mission, our dear friends, for all the music they provide here to the Trek Geeks podcast. You know, um, they've got so many great albums. And of course, as we announced earlier in this episode, year four is coming in just a couple of months. The release date is out. So you want to get yourself on over to fiveyearmission.net. Download all their stuff. Get ready for year four because it is imminent, Dan. I love it. I can't wait. April 27th, it's just around the corner. And I'll be clicking on that uh, download, purchase link, whatever it is on five-year admissions website that very day. But you know what's interesting, Bill, is I got to say, you know, as we celebrate this 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, you know, we have to give just a huge shout out to one of the very best episodes in season one. Uh, Dan, Dan, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we have a priority transmission coming in from Podfleet Command. Uh, stand by. I'm routing the transmission to audio now. Hey, Bill and Dan, Fark here. You know, with a great season of Star Trek Discovery wrapping up, I figured I'd start my own Star Trek rewatch. So I was watching this original series episode the other day, and it's about uh, these two people that were on a desolate planet doing research and the enterprise comes to visit and but it turns out that one of them could only survive by hearing the sound of his own voice so in order to do that he had to dupe another podcaster into seeing him as a fellow podcaster and of course that episode i'm referring to is the great classic the dan trap <laughs> yeah Get it? I think I did pretty good there for my first try on a Danism. So keep up the good work, fellas. I'll be listening in, making sure those Farkisms are still horrible. <laughs> Take care, kids. Wow, that was a, a transmission from Admiral Fark all the way from from Podfleet Command, Dan. That's uh, that's great stuff. What a great episode. I got to watch that. So let me get this straight. My Farkism was superseded by a Danism from Fark himself. Oh, you're damn right. <laughs> All right. Well, this week's Sparkism will be heard next week because I can't top that, I'm sure. No, it was. Fark, thanks so much for the Danism. Hey, feel free to send those whenever you want, buddy. Because um, uh, I know the executive producer of the show and he loves that kind of thing. Um, but again, fiveyearmission.net. We thank Fark and everybody in the band for always being great supporters of us. And we're proud to support them as well. Yeah, next week. We're going to talk a little discovery as we beam in a special episode straight from Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion. Absolutely, my good friend. You know, as Discovery has completed its inaugural season on CBS All Access, we're going to have a special season one wrap-up episode over on Discovering Trek with the amazing Mr. Ken Ray from Mission Log in the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And we're going to bring that very discussion here over to Trek Geeks. But be warned. Abandon all hope of no spoilers for ye who listen here, because next week there will be spoilers on what happens uh, in Discovery during the season. So please keep that in mind uh, before you start listening. Um, also, Bill, I want to say you mentioned at the beginning of the episode in two weeks time, we are going to have that very same Admiral Fark on this here podcast for a special see it or skip it for season two of Deep Space Nine. So that is coming up in the next couple of weeks on Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. 
Can, can you say that as Schwarzenegger? Your independent Star Trek podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. Shore Leave just dropped a new episode. Disco Trek's dropped a brand new episode. Politrex, Trek Ranks, Reading Trek, Drawing Trek. They're all, Dan, all the Treks. All of them. <laughs> uh, we want everyone. everyone. I know, everyone. Please check out our friends at Tricorder Transmissions. I'm stuttering now. That's how awesome it is. Check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmission. They guarantee to have content that uh, every Star Trek fan is going to love. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please check out our dear friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 130 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Garrick uh, was right about one thing. A guilty conscience is a small price to pay for the safety of the coconuts. So I will learn to live with it because I can live with it. I can live with it, Bill. Computer, erase that entire personal log. Wish I could erase your face. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What the hell was that? I just was forced to watch NASCAR, and I just don't have any clue why. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. Oh, God. I mean, it was kind of cool uh, because in the final lap, there was a crash. So the person who was in the lead um, lost. Sorry for the spoiler alert for maybe the four people that are interested. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I just cannot get into that at all. So the only time in my life I've ever watched NASCAR – I was on a, a business trip for work and I had to fly to New York City on Sunday for a conference that was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I got to my hotel room in Times Square at the Marriott Marquis. Grand's my first time in New York City. I'm totally freaked out because I have a, a horrible phobia of tall buildings, as you know. And as I'm, I'm flipping channels, the only channel that's really coming in is the one with the Daytona 500 on it. <laughs> and it happens to be the Daytona 500 where Dale Earnhardt died. Okay. 20 years. Uh, no, not 20 years ago. No, no. Okay. In 2001. Yep. Yep. And uh, I, at that point, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm supposed to watch racing. Um, <laughs> so it was your fault. <laughs> that's kind of the way it felt at the time. But uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, so yeah, that's the only time I've ever watched NASCAR. I just, I don't, uh, I get that people enjoy it. I just don't. Um, yeah, I'm just not a, uh, a a huge fan at all. And um, what was kind of interesting, if there's anything interesting about it, is the guy who won tonight's race drove the number three car, which is the number car that Dale Earnhardt Sr. used to drive. Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of, I guess, I guess it was cool. That's kind of neat, I guess. Yeah, no, it isn't. <laughs> all i know is that uh, as we record this it's sunday mm-hmm. and it's the first sunday with no new star trek until who knows when oh that's kind of it's also the first sunday's uh wor- first weekend since thanksgiving that i haven't had to travel back and forth to maine that's true mm-hmm. welcome to new hampshire yes uh it's very nice not to have to drive back and forth to and fro multiple times I like it. Trek Geeks, a Granite State podcast. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Live for your your diving. I'm going to drink to that. Yes, I am right now. What are you drinking? I'm going going a little simple this week. I got some vodka and some Minute Maid lemonade with mint. It's part of the, it's it's not something I added. That's what the, that's what they'd sell. Weird. It's good. It's, it's crisp and clean and refreshing. (laughs) Lemonade. And it has vodka. (laughs) (laughs) That cool, refreshing drink. Yes. Sorry, a little Eddie Murphy segue. I like that. We're not going to do any Arnold this week, though, right? (laughs) No, no. No, never, never, never. (laughs) 
<laughs> got to get out of here. This lemonade is great. <laughs> I got to have some more. <laughs> so all this week, we, uh, on the days we commuted together this week, I should say, because there was one day we didn't, I guess, or two days. Um, you have <laughs> done wall to wall. Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonations to the point where I was laughing so hard at one point. Oh. I was practically hyperventilating yes, and I had tears streaming down my face. It was hilarious. And the bad thing is that we can't repeat any of the things that we were saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Although then, then we got on a great discussion of uh, the Jackson's yes. album from the 1980s, Victory. Yep. That terrible, terrible album. Very bad album. A state of shock. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that song. I had that in my head for like two days. So one of the the releases off the album was a a duet between Mick Jagger and essentially Michael Jackson uh, called State of Shock. And it is just, it's so, oh my God, so terrible. Not as bad as torture because that's exactly what torture is. And, torture, okay, and yeah. let me tell you about torture. Let's 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 back up a little bit. We actually listened to torture in the car just to to get an idea of how just how bad it was. And in that video, it's the Jacksons. So you got Marlon and Tito and Jermaine and all of them. I don't even know all of them, the name Randy and and whenever they showed Michael, which was only twice in the entire video, it was a wax figure. It wasn't even him. Wow, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I just realized that this weekend I was checking out. I'm like, that's not even a real person. It, that's really quite sad. It's- the thing I learned about you this week, though, in the car is that not only did you cement your status as probably one of the biggest Michael Jackson fans I know, but you know all the dance moves from the video. <laughs> well, luckily in so- this video, there are no dance moves. <laughs> well, but I mean... It's- you're, you're dancing in the car as you're driving, obviously, you know, as, as best you can. But so this, this begs a question in, in your Michael Jackson fandom and God, I wish we had a podcast on this. Mm. Um, how many times did you practice those dance moves to the video? I don't know, but I knew them all like, like, like I know episodes of Star Trek. I knew every no single move. Yep. Yep. As a matter of fact, if Thriller is ever like, or Beat It's ever on the radio, I'm doing the, the whole thing in my head. And I'm like, my head will be bobbing <laughs> in the direction it's supposed to go in. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I know them all. Yep. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, can you do the whole smooth criminal lean? Uh, can't, no. <laughs> I can try to, but then I would be on my face. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> and, and everybody would say, uh, Danny, are you okay? <laughs> Oh, that was, sorry. Uh, sorry. 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 So I've learned so much here about you. I just, I, I can't believe it for 20 years. I didn't know that on top of having horrible taste in music and, um, you also like Michael Jackson. Yeah. I was like, always a big fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like love Michael Jackson. Yep, absolutely. It's funny uh, that we're talking about this because earlier today I sent you a video of Michael Jackson's Hollywood tonight which stars it's after he died. So the, the, the video doesn't have him in it except for in flashback, like uh, little like images. But uh, Sophia Butella is the star of that. Who is of course, Jayla from, from Star Trek beyond. And she's awesome in that video. I believe that. Oh, you did. So you didn't watch it. I haven't watched it. <laughs> she's, she's yeah. phenomenal in that video. Like unbelievable. I, I didn't. You ready to do this? Yes, sir. You got it. 